Cradeline Network. Conrad alongside my friend Fox. It's the 294th episode of Space Spinner 2000 podcast, where two Americans are going to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode was 2000 AD for June and July 1994, progs 892 to 895. This time, Dread has intrigue, Slain has murder, Mambo has body horror, and <laughs> Armored Gideon has old friends aplenty. Aww. Yeah, how you doing, Fox? I'm all right. There's a lot of goo. Love this gooey episode. This is the goo episode. Very much a gooey episode. Can't can't one section especially high it's a levels cat, of goo. It's a Cadbury cream egg, but with body horror. Hey, hey, we got we're in the middle of a catch gooey goo. Oh. All right. <laughs> I, I I still I I was. You know, now that you've done it, I'm going to make my my gone girl joke. Oh, no. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Oh, man. Listen, she's got a plan and a calendar. Be careful. <laughs> Poor Ben Affleck. He's okay. Uh, let's not. <laughs> I remember Ben Affleck in that movie. He wasn't a good guy. No, uh, I mean, well, you know, it's Ben Affleck. When is he ever? Fair enough. Fair enough. Hmm. Sorry, Ben. I know that you watched or listened. To this. No, it's okay. He's fine. He's got his Phoenix tattoo. He's living it up. If you want to read along with us from the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 21, The Armored Gideon Collection, and Slain Demon Killer. And here we go. Hey, uh, speaking of guys getting killed, Fox. Well, not oh, yeah. really. Well, speaking of robot us as being cool, which doesn't really re- relect to anything, but I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> I would want to be an Adrian Barbobot. Fine. Uh, hedonism bot for me. <laughs> yeah. Change places. <laughs> but I guess, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, as the plot thickens, let's go to Thrill One, Judge Dread. Script robot John Wagner and Dan Abnett. Art robot Mark Harrison and Ron Smith. Letting robot uh, Tom Frame. Hey, I like that guy. Solid, solid lettering. So Wagner and Harrison start us off here. Last time, Fox, Dredd met with a war council of high-level judges that were unhappy about Chief Magruder's rule of the city. But Dredd couldn't agree to help them, you know, because he's got his own beliefs and, and honor. But a judge gave him a slip of paper, and now Dredd is investigating it. Yeah, going into this big... Uh, sector house? I, I think it's a storage. It's a storage locker, you know, yeah. or or a facility. You know, it's 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 where uh, guys with with fancy hats go bid on things and then see what's inside. Basically, <laughs> storage wards. Yeah. Anyway, um, good one. Dread's checking it. A robot at the door says the building's off limits, but that doesn't stop Dread. You can't like that makes it more suspicious. You yeah, know, I feel like how can 
something be off limits for Judge Dredd. He's like when you say, when you tell a certain kind of dad that he can't come in your room. Like the door's opening one way or another at this point when you when you said that. <laughs> dread barges. Whoa. I'm not dread- making robots in here, dad, I promise. <laughs> I'm open this door. <laughs> Dread walks through a series of automatic doors and eventually finding a judge on duty. He says he saw a prowler and he's investigating. This is very obvious, like just sort of cop talk here, Fox. Yeah. Um, the duty judge looks nervous and makes a call. And Dread looks around but isn't really impressed by the stuff in storage here. When suddenly tech judge Quigley comes down to meet him. And it seems Quigley was part of the Mechanismo projects, but the robo-judges' failures have gotten him sent down to guard duties here. Mm. Elsewhere, at the Sector 4 Psycho Cube, Judge Stitch, who was the former head of the Mechanismo, that's the Robot Judge Project, is strapped to an interrogation gurney. They want to talk about dread. He's also got a butt window. I mean, yeah, listen, it's so advanced it's just- interrogation techniques. Oh, no. Outside the storage yard, Dredd doesn't believe the story he's been fed, um, and so he leaps onto the back of an incoming vehicle, sneaking into the base. There's something they don't want him to know, and he's going to find out what. So Dredd's solid snake in his way through this warehouse. Yeah, he, all, all equipment, OSP. Absolutely. He's overhearing Quigley talk to a Judge Greel, who's in turn talking to Chief Magruder as Greel applies various truth drugs to Stitch and seems to imply that Dredd might have blue eyes, but that might just be like blue-eyed yeah. boy, like as a yeah, complimentary exactly. way or something. Who knows? Yeah, you know, it means like, you know, he might not be uh, uh, a Boy Scout after all. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, Dredd's going through the sea- this comes to a giant room in this secret warehouse and comes to a part where there are a bunch, a big giant firing range where sleek, black, roughly human-shaped robot judges with Cobra Commander faces shoot targets with incredible accuracy. <laughs> yeah, Cobra Commander. Like, you know, the uh, the metal dome face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love Cobra Commander. Oh, He's man. He's really good. He, uh, um, he upholds the tradition of Great voices, your Mumra's and your. Uh, uh, well, it's guy? the same guy as like Skeletor. Starscream, right? Oh, like, wow, really? I didn't even I know that. I think so. Like, I th- the one thing I've really learned, I learned at one point when I looked into animation stuff, is that there's honestly on most of those Saturday morning cartoons, there's like 10 guys that do all the voices, you know? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, I guess. I remember being a kid and we had the G.I. Joe movie on VHS and my brother and I watched that extensively. And like you look at the credits for it and it's like, you know, Don Johnson plays Lieutenant Falcon. Right. Of course. Whatever. One or two new characters just have some actor. But then you get to sort of the like the mid range guy, like the guy who does the voice of Duke also does like seven other dudes or something like <laughs> Whoa. that. <laughs> They're all just slightly different gruff versions of that voice, you know? Wow. Anyway, anyway, sorry, off topic. Oh, um, great. But we dread also hears Quigley saying that these judge, these robo judges should be ready to be out on the street on by Thursday. And that's no good. Um, Dread butts in, and we learn that these are Mark Two A mechanismos. And I'll tell—I should send you a picture, Fox. I'm sorry, but the previous mechanismo robots were sort of these big, like chunky, 
like not really very human like um machines oh, so these ones are meant to look like peoples these ones are much more i mean the mechanismos were like they were definitely human shaped but like um they were just like they just weren't like like very human like they had sort of like exaggerated proportions and stuff like that and like big robot you know that they, 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 they had clearly big robot bodies i guess hold on let me send you one here this one is the cover of the mechanismo trade paperback which is also a magazine cover whoa okay <laughs> but they had Very kind of these different. big yeah these big beefy bodies whereas these new uh two-way mechanismos are slimmer and, and they look made like of, they have muscles yes they're made of like black metal and kind of musk kind of muscular-esque like they yeah they're kind of like they're a built-up human kind of although they are also seemingly like about 10 feet tall so be worried um Anyway, it seems that while the Mechanismo project was closed publicly, Magruder has continued it secretly. Dred's not pleased and Quigley is pissed. So he makes a bad move and has two of the robot judges open fire on Dred. Now, this doesn't end well for anybody, I feel like. <laughs> is no good. It's never good when you open fire on Dred. That's sort of not even good for Dred, actually, but we'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> Dred dodges laser fire as a tech tries to talk quick. Tries to talk quickly down. Dredd tries to assert his authority, but the robots haven't had the concept of right and wrong programmed into them yet. Which Jesus. Seems like, a, seems like a problem. I feel um, like that's the first thing you do. I mean, I had a real think about like when when you do it, and it seems like it should be a baseline part of the programming and stuff. It reminds me of uh, you know, old Isaac Asimov, where he thought that like the the robots you'd use to be on the mach- on like a on a car assembly line would have mor- the morality of like not killing anyone and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a just in case, right? Like, yeah, you, you never gotta, know. It's a it's a good catch all. Let me just put it that way. Listen, there's n- few things more I've seen more ominous than when someone just sort of soldered an AK forty seven onto the top of one of those Boston Dynamics Robo Dogs. Fox, that was. Oh yeah. <laughs> There was a video that earlier in the earlier in 2022, which was fairly ominous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Magruder is meanwhile watching tape of Stitch being interrogated, and then the gunfight rages. And like, I'm I can't really do this one justice because very visual, and I, I'm and, and Mark Harrison's work is pretty cool here. And so Dredd's just sort of jumping around. He's getting hit by some laser fire and stuff like that. But in the end, makes a leap and takes Quigley hostage, which forces the bots to stand down. He arrests Quigley and the other tech soams and demands a meeting with Magruder. Magruder back at the at a Justice HQ is pissed over Quigley's reaction. But she also now has tape of Stitch ratting out Dread for the Mechanismo 2 incident, which happened in the magazine, which I mentioned to you, mm-hmm. Box. Basically, yeah, that Dread destroyed the Mark II Mechanismo to try to set that project back, basically. Yep. Um, and so the meeting that Dread has asked for will have more than Dread's bargained for, as we'll learn next week in Big Meg 1. Um and so that's sort of th- this story ends on a cliffhanger, but I've got to tell you that we're about to enter into some wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff for Dread. Okay. 
where basically here in 2000 AD, it's going to pretty much be business as usual with one and two part dreads and having adventures in the city and stuff. I think a lot of this is because they've just had that TV, you know, they've had this big rollout of this 2000 AD. And so they can't, they don't want to put a lot of crazy plot stuff here in the progs where they're trying to get new readers in, you know? Right. I mean, it's to push the sales of the magazine, right? Exactly. But then in the magazine, um, they, Dread will have Dread and the rest of the War Council we saw last episode will have a meeting with Magruder where they'll be called out and this uh, the Stitch's testimony will be played and Dread will be arrested for perjury Whoa. and taken by Magruder, Castillo, and a small squadron of mechanismos to the planet Hestia on the way to Titan. Oh my God. Okay. So dread will so the result of this is that dread will be arrested and then sort of he and Magruder will sort of go off planet um to eventually take him to prison. Now that trip won't go as the as they've got planned, but no, we won't bringing the monster onto the ship with you. Indeed, but we won't learn about that here in the prog until prog nine oh four when we enter the three way podcast zone for the Wilderland Whoa. story, which will cross over between the progs and the uh, and the magazine. Cool. So yeah, so ba- just basically, I, I just want to say that this ends. This story ends on a cliffhanger, then goes into the next story, but that cliffhanger is resolved in uh, Big Mac One. And I guess spoilers for next week's Big Mac One. Sorry, everybody, but you know, it's going <laughs> to be in next week. Yeah, next it should be time. good. Exactly. Anyway, let's continue on with um, our dread stories. A very exciting debut here as Ron Smith takes over on art and Dan Abnett starts on writing duties. Fox, I'm stoked. Ooh. You know, though he's not a big dread writer, Dan Abnett will go on to write literally hundreds of thrills for 2000 AD over the next uh, 30 years or so to this very day. Um, including stories that will become staples of the comic, like Sinister Dexter, Kingdom, and Lawless. Actually, that Lawless is in the magazine, but still, in, in both places. Mm. He's also a really prolific writer of uh, Warhammer 40K novels. His, cool. uh, his Gaunt's Ghost and Eisenhorn series of books are ones that I hold very near and dear to my heart from when I first started getting into Warhammer and stuff like that. Um and he's also written for uh, both DC and Marvel. And with his writing partner, Annie, Andy Laney, Lanning, he created the current version of the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, like that are in like the MCU and, st- you know, Star-Lord based, Rocket Raccoon group, all that kind of stuff. Wow. Okay. Damn. So big, important writer, in my opinion. And I'm very excited for him to show up. And he's a staple of the of the comic for, for you know, until today, basically. So... It's just fun when sort of like with um, sorry, sorry, just sort of like with Henry Flint uh, last week, actually, Mm. these are sort of it's just fun to see some of these guys that will become that will go on to be staples of the comics sort of have their debuts, basically. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so in this story, Dread and a bunch of other judges are wearing cool rad cloaks and they're out on the cursed earth. Yeah. They got capes and their helmets are down because they're in a high radiation area of the cursed earth following the transmission of a televangelist offering a paradise in the desert. 
you know, it's getting it gets real weird near the end. But in the middle, at least you got these furry guys. Absolutely, yeah. Hundreds of Mega City One citizens have been enticed to hell trek to this cop this commune, but no one's heard from them. One, like sit once they leave, and the judges are yeah. getting concerned. A little odd. Although to be fair, like it's not like a lot of people survive hell trekking generally, as we learn. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like you'd, you know, yeah, once you some get people survive. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, also a very good comic. Yeah, takes me back. We, we, we were down on it at the time, but I think it was mostly because I was very sad. I was depressed at the moment. <laughs> so, Dredd and his posse arrive at a wrecked caravan. Its members killed, except for this weird monkey mutant that jumps out and kills another judge by removing his rad mask. Yeah, man, he gets uh, he gets those sores real fast. Just there, it's just like individual drops of blood just come shooting out of this judge's face individually. It's pretty awesome. Oh, God. <laughs> um. It it takes bike cannons to kill this mutant, and we learn that it's been infested by an invasive plant growth that needs human blood to sustain it. They're plant vampires. Oh, love it. Love to hear it. More of them attack, and eventually they they take them out, and a trail leads from the caravan back to this commune, which which is called Slake City. And as they prepare to head out, Dredd re-watches one of the commune infomercials and realizes that when you look at it close enough, it does have some pretty vampire-like subtext yeah. going into it. You know, there, there. It's the Church of the Later of the Latter Night Saints. A lot of talk about need, need, about needing new blood and stuff like that. Yeah, they really underscore the blood, inclusive of "Give us your love, give us your blood." Like, hmm, this is an interesting metaphor. I wonder where he's going with it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, ju- the judges head out. Blood. Yeah, they arrive at the commune. It's time to take down Slake City. Next time on Dread, Slake That Thirst. Oh, that's pretty good. Slake's just a, ooh, that's a fun like, verb, Fox. Yeah. Also, like, you know, could be a, a conjoined, like, Salt Lake. Ooh, because hmm. Mormons are vampires, I guess. Yeah, the tone I don't there. even know if there is a is it are enough Mormons in 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 England to be made fun of. I guess I don't know. Exciting times, one way or another. And speaking of weird cults, Fox, weird cults, gooey cults, cults about goo and body yeah. goo. Finally, it's thrilled. It's the thrill to Mambo. Yeah, baby, a little bit of a little bit of Monica. Yeah, uh, the creator uh, robot Dave Hine, letting robot Ellie Deville. Hey, Bumbo! Last time we saw, <laughs> us, I can't stop doing it, Fox. I'm sorry, it's, it's catchy. Wonderful. Last time we saw a psychic flat in a psychic flashback, we saw the Ventress Corp by the planet Maldror in the hopes of finding out the mysterious secret behind the natives that lived there, the New Flesh. Oh, it's so a we- genocide. Yeah, and let me tell you, we're going to put them in labs. We're going to have some, you know, nice, uh, nice imagery of, you know, them basically looking like they're crucified or dangling from ceilings from wires. Yeah, do some interrogations where you threaten to shoot, shoot a loved one in the head, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you stay stone faced because you're new blood, you don't, or new flesh, you don't give a shit. That's right. Yeah, listen, you're hanging out with James Woods. You don't give a fuck. Jesus. Uh, Videodrome reference, Fox, whatever. Um, 
Also, yeah, so interrogations give no answer. Rachel's father, however, wasn't directly involved in this. He was just testing samples and stuff. Yeah, okay, buddy. Well, yeah. Listen, if there's one there's one thing I know, it's that when there's a genocide and someone says they weren't involved, you should be skeptical. Yeah, they are complicit even if they did not directly take action. And even more so, just because, whatever. Anyway... Um, Doing tests on their blood. Yeah, it seems that venture um, that when Ventress came, the locals stopped taking whatever mysterious substance it was that gave them their power. So uh, Rachel's dad is sort of finding traces in their, you know, remaining in their bloodstream, but they don't have the actual source of it. Anyway, with the planet all their own, the Ventress Corp decided to build a massive factory and start polluting the hell out of everything, as you do. This really feels like, you know, anything that could be on this planet that they definitely ate, let's trash it. Absolutely, yes. Let's just sort of make a factory that all it does is just sluice green, radioactive green stuff into like the water. Where the people live, you know, it's just like, this is uh, this is how we'll do it. Oh yeah, put every yeah, put all the remaining new flesh into uh made to work as slaves in the factories, living in shanty towns, etc. Make them stand around burning trash cans ominously, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know, you're not the bad guy, Lex Luthor. Mm. In the in the into this world, Rachel was born. Her mother never recovered from the hard childbirth and died on her way back to Earth for treatment. So Rachel's father raised her alone. Meanwhile, we see that Rachel's dad has had some success. He can now make a person grow horrifying body tentacles <laughs> that can interface with like a computer terminal yeah. at like at a rate of like 80% body horror. But yeah. sadly, at some point, like your ribs turn to tentacles and rip out of your body and you just go to 100% body <laughs> horror and you yeah. kind of become a become a goo basically <laughs> your your fingers attached to your eyeballs and your teeth get all mushy even the your teeth. even the best version when they say hey it's working looks pretty horrifying and <laughs> painful fox it's not good man it's not good um the head of Ventress Corp is really excited about it. He talks oh, of course about he is. He's mystical, really into this. Oh yeah, he talks about mystical concepts like cyberspace and alchemy, and uh, you know makes the guess, of course, that um, it's just maybe just willpower that's the real challenge, not uh, the actual system itself. You know, yeah. So you know, a willing participant might be a good one there, a eh, buddy. I mean, I, he, for the record, he does put his money where his mouth is. We'll see. Oh, um, sure. I just mean like, you know, maybe just like selecting from your crack team of like, I don't know, security staff. You might can't. Be the better you can't choice. Yeah. But you can't test for willpower. Like everybody, you know, no one, no one answers truthfully on those um, Briggs-Meyer tests. Yeah. yeah. No one's going to pick. Get, get put in the category like, oh, no, I have no willpower, you know, <laughs> screw me. I, I have no problem. If it's like, hey, would you be down for some body horror stuff? I'd be like, no, no. And I they'd mean, be like, well, what if you get all this uh, knowledge from a computer? I'd still be like, why? No. I'll I want, just, I want more spreadsheets with my fingers. I want more details about the body horror, Fox. I don't know if I want these tentacles. But, you know, again, back to Videodrome, like a, a VHS player in my stomach. That could be interesting, you know. <laughs> Built-in A-track machine, whatever. It's quaint. Rachel was 10 when a bunch of new flesh came for her and her father. They took her 
into the Maldoror countryside and into a deep cavern. Their spiritual leader, they're the spiritual leader of the new flesh waited, the Mambo. Hey, Mambo, Mambo Italiano, kicks <laughs> in your brain. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Sitting on a big throne, a lot of spider imagery. The Mambo warns, or wonders, I should say, if Rachel is what they were waiting for and says that tonight one of them must die. Okay, well. <laughs> Bad times. Not a good yeah. ultimatum. Yeah, young Rachel's brought before the Mambo, and these the leader's hand suddenly expands into a bunch of weird finger tentacles. Gonna probe her with some some goo. Yeah, they are the last of the new flesh to still be in use of their powers. Rachel's father is held back as the Mambo notes that the red spider on their forehead, the scarab, is a source of their power. It's a parasite that secretes. Weird body horror fluid. <laughs> but it makes you real high, and it also gives you some crazy cool abilities. Yeah, yeah. We see the contrast of how Dorian Ventress would use this power for control and green evil, while Rachel would use it for blue goodness and truth. Uh, you know, and some purple in there. Yeah. Anyway, she's going to be the new Mambo. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of Rachel in your life, Fox. <laughs> Well, we have to, of course, open up her mind's vagina. Listen, over her father's <laughs> objections and mentioning that, of course, Rachel men- uh, remembers none of this, Mambo sprouts a bunch of face tentacles and uses them to indeed open up a vagina on Rachel's uh, forehead. And then a little scarab with a tiny pink penis jumps mm. onto her brain. The text says that it opened Rachel's head up like a ripe fruit, but I know what I'm seeing, Fox. Yeah, no, it's got a little red rocket on the, Let's, on the fucking scarab. It's not, it's real weird. Forehead vagina. Uh, and then, yeah, puts the, yeah, opens it up so you can see her brain, jams a spider in there, and then closes it all up. I, I mean it. The spider has a donk. It's Good. got a doink. It's got to get in your brain somehow, buddy. It's already on there. Nah, nah, nah. Deep. This is some some of the deep hentai or whatever, you know. Oh, my God. Might cut that out. All right. <laughs> it's not quite Vor, but it's nearly there. I mean, it's Vor adjacent. The Mambo dies and Rachel starts to warp out. She must learn control. Yeah, but also it's going to fuck up her face. What's wrong with your face? Oh, no. Brought back home, she's given drugs to, pres- to suppress the parasite and her body returns to normal, except for her face, which was irreparably scarred, which is why she wears that Phantom of the Opera mask to this day. Also, it blocks some of the fucking spider goo. Yeah, it's got spider goo uh, repressant in there as well. Rachel goes a little crazy over the news of what her face looks like under the mask, and... In the dream world, her father's mind starts to collapse, so he's got to explain fast. Uh, The mask keeps the scarab, the amuli, sedated. But if Rachel could could learn to control the power, that would be awesome. Uh, and we also <laughs> Please see do that daughter. Yeah. If you could, that would be great. Come in on Saturday and learn to control the spider. Yeah. Um, we see that Dorian Ventress has taken ass loads of the synthesized version of the drug and is now just a big, terrifying tentacle man. Yeah. He's like a big root boy, except he doesn't have a doink. 
Mm, yes, he's lost one route and replaced it with dozens of others, Fox. I know. I mean, that's that's his big high, isn't it? <sighs> going to fuck you with these tentacles. Bad times. <laughs> Everything feels good when all you are is tentacles. Yeah, no limiter when I talk about Mambo Fox. I don't know what's good, what it's doing to me. Because <laughs> it's very good. It's all over the place. Um, he knows Rachel is the Mambo and wants her brought to him. And when he sort of makes this initial plan, he accidentally kills Rachel's father in the process. I mean, he doesn't know. Yeah, but it seems um, that Masamune believes that Rachel will indeed return to Maldor one day and eradicate Ventress and his evil work. She's got uh, destiny. Yeah, she's Mis- got a Yojimbo now. Yeah, Mister Verlaine then decides, to, you know, decides to communicate all this through this through psychic head in a jar stuff. But in the doing so, the process is botched, which is why his m- mindscape is falling apart. TLDR, you're the Mambo. Learn to use their powers. Learn to use your powers to fight the big bad, who's already mastered a corrupt version of those powers. Standard stuff. Also, kill me. Please kill me. Kill me right now. Yeah, Rachel leaves her father's mindscape as it falls to pieces. The head in a jar begs for death, and Masamune <laughs> pulls the plug and kills him. Jesus. Rachel's hurt by this death of her father, but she was already dead, so I think she'll be okay. But probably not okay with the fact that through the window, a bunch of no good jerks are watching her through a telescope. Yeah, murder guys. Yeah, murder lady. Totally. It's time to move in. So they all inject that mambo fluid and grow biomechanical weapon kind of things. They're about to shake their tuckuses off. They're having a great time. That yeah. music's just pumping through their veins. At last. Masamune says Rachel must look, must return to Maldoror, but first she's got to deal with these mutated freaks. Yeah, the one, Kool-Aid guy their way into that place. Absolutely. One extremely Videodrome-like as a built-in gun hand and uses it to kill Masamune. No! Oh, gross. As the alien I'd dot... Yeah. He's shot with a... Mm, don't like it. I don't like a gun where you, someone makes their own bullets, Fox. Oh, ooh. Ooh. Yeah, no. What does mm. Spider-Man shoot? What is that? Mm-mm. Yeah, no, that's why Tobey Maguire is the worst Spider-Man, because the <laughs> bio, the the biological web shooters are not cool. Yeah, they're uh, they're just spurting goo everywhere. Just spraying goo on you. What, you guys don't make your own? Wet, wraps those chemicals in a big mass of his own goo and leaves them for the cops. That's what a serial killer does. Um, you don't want it to touch your skin. You'll get a rash. Oh, oh my God. Anyway, <laughs> as the alien dies, he does something to, I think it's a he, does something to Rachel's mask. The Amulai no longer sleeps. Rachel must learn to control her powers. Nah, man, she's going to freak out. She's real angry. Yeah, the assassins prepare to take out Rachel, but instead she starts warping out, a green light glowing from her mask's eye, and she's just sprouting roots and tendrils and claws and tentacles. It's the new flesh bursts into her consciousness. She kills these assassins, and while another of the... Th- and she kills one of them, and another woman's like, ooh, we should go. But then the third <laughs> yeah, one's like, nah, good. let's keep fighting. And they do, but gets... The third guy gets hit by the tendrils and the final assassin sort of tackles Rachel. They both go flying out the side of a plate glass window, falling down to the skyline in a big cloud of pseudopods. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're not going to kill Kerrigan this way. 
you're never gonna defeat the you're never gonna defeat the dudes in those prototype games by doing this, buddy. Oh no! Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. She's just gonna make like a goo whip. It really this really or does. shoot her blood out of her body so fast or whatever she can make. Absolutely, she just propels herself. Yeah, it does really remind me of prototype, just because that that also like that that's a superpower game that also has this weird like sort of gross like biological feel to all the superpowers, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. But yeah. Anyway, next time on Mambo falling down. <laughs> really guys. That's the title. Okay. As they fall. Listen, she wants those pancakes. It's only five minutes after 11, buddy. Come on. <laughs> Jeez, buddy. I'm Ugh. liking Mambo. I'm enjoying this story. Oh, it's great. I, are you Real kidding? Weird. We talked about it for this long. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely should be collected. I'm saying anyway, yeah, it's very good. And but speaking of things that have been collected, Fox. Oh my God, Uh-oh. self self lay up here. Let's go to thrill three armored Gideon. Yeah. Hey, more blasts from the past. Yeah, script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Simon Jacob, letting robot Annie Park cows. Last time, Fox, my dreams came true as Bill Savage and Shaco <laughs> fought, <laughs> but Shaco killed Savage. Yeah, we got we get to see like a lot of that eaten happening. But it looks like he got better, so that's pretty solid. Yeah, Although, so immediately he's fine. <laughs> possibly also ominous. He wakes, he goes to wake up vestigial main character Frank White's and then blows up a nearby <laughs> air. Yeah, we don't need Frank <laughs> yeah. in this story anymore. Not really. <laughs> like there's nothing he can do that Savage isn't doing better, frankly. Correct. Um, but there's a plane and Savage blows that up as well. Just um, one shot and the yeah, of course, yeah, to escape yeah. from Shaco as both Armored Gideon and the Collector appear on the screen. We, this is the first our first real view of the Collector. Here he's got like a yeah, real weird looking, yeah, Cyclops eye, four arms and two legs, and he's got of, a Goro thing going on. Yeah, and he's sort of partially constructed, like he's sort of got like gaps in his body where like i don't know like in his torso where like sort of flesh and bone is sort of netting knitting itself around or like one of his arms is cut off but restructuring mm. itself or something like that anyway um oh and also he's kind of got like a rainbowy skin like the uh like a puddle yeah. in a parking lot that kind of yeah, like exactly. sort of tra- transitioning colors like that the Collector and Gideon played tug of war with Shacko, seemingly splitting the bear in half. <laughs> and Whites and Savage go to run as the Collector seems to heal Shacko. Hmm. Yeah. Whites and Savage, meanwhile, run across that snowscape, jumping down a crevasse and into a portal, only to find themselves thousands of feet above the English countryside. Oh, boy. Yeah. They are and falling. We get the introduction of our favorite character in the whole yeah. series. Suddenly caught by a flying shirtless guy with a computer built into his shoulder. It's Angel! Harry Angel. Last seen in Prague, 99, in 1979. And of course, one of the stories I collected in our Worst Thrills collection episode. <laughs> yes, it's pretty bad. I'll always re- it, it's one of my great memories of this podcast actually I think there was just one time where I explained a series of angel stories and you just laughed through the whole thing so it was so ridiculous it's not very good warms my heart <laughs> anyway he sees the lads mostly safely to ground 
Frank wakes up in a military base where Angel interrogates him, and Frank recaps the story so far. Meanwhile, Savage is droning on with anti-Vogan propaganda to some random guy. And listen, they nuked the Midlands and killed his family, yeah, so I, I feel, feel like... like <laughs> he's very justified. Yeah, like he's <laughs> more than a lot of people, he's got a reason to hate the Vulcans, you know? Um, I, Angel, I don't get the running joke here. Like, yeah. He's yeah. one of the best action characters that has come out of this comic book. I feel like there has been, like, behind the scenes, people are down on, like, Savage and down on Shaco, and I don't appreciate um, it. Very dumb. Those Absolutely. Are bad, those are bad concepts to have in your brain. Definitely. 100%. Um, Angel isn't sure about these guys, but he says they do have a dimensional portal on tap okay. and an armor and armored Gideon trapped in a force field. So I guess he believes him a little bit, at least. <laughs> Gideon's trapped and uses the free time to remember his past created by the mysterious silent ones along with his brother Jerubal. And then the collector came taking certain members of the Creatures of the Edge, and Gideon tried to fight the Collector, but it felt weird and wrong to him somehow, so instead Gideon decided to destroy the ones the Collectors is looking for before the creature could take them. And there's apparently something odd about the Collector's target that targets that Frank is doesn't know, but now Gideon's punching free of his restraints. He's been forced to think, and that makes him angry, and this whole chapter is told entirely in narration boxes, which I don't care for. Yeah, exactly. It was I, backstory. Sure. There really is a need like each Armored Gideon st- chapter has at least a page of recap, like it, it recaps so things odd. like issue to issue. There's tons of recap in a way that we just don't see very much these days, which yeah. I'll, I'll admit could like maybe next week we might I, I might talk a little bit more about how like some of this stuff is attempting to sort of be old school in a certain way. But uh, not great. Yeah, I don't think it really nails it. And I mean, you're a comic book in the future, bud. Yeah, you're in the present at this point. Yeah. So yeah. Gideon Gideon breaks free of the force field. So Whites, Savage, and Angel all run. Angel takes the others to a room with a big machine in it and a bunch of jail cell doors. And inside the cells are... Oh, man. Fellow Worst Thrills alumnus, Rick Random. Go to hell, (laughs) Rick Random. It's very bad. Not good. (laughs) On the opposite end of the spectrum, though, another door houses our boy, Mach Zero. Very good. Love to see him. And a third one houses Wolfie Smith, who I'm neutral on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, he's neutral. Yeah, and and Wolfie's there, too. (laughs) I guess Angel decided to have a facility built around an armored Gideon portal, sort of like a cannery wharf in a Doctor Who. Um, And then just built a prison with a bunch of weirdos that popped through the gateway on the run from Gideon. And we see there's there's some important characters in this, man. Yeah. In the cast of we, we see just a whole raft of these guys being brought in. There's Mox Zero. The Mekon, Max Normal, Nick mm-hmm. Stone from Meltdown Man, Harry 20, The yeah. Visible Man, even Dan Dare with the Cosmic Claw. Oh, and uh, what's his name? The one who got rebuilt from uh, Harlem Heroes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Artie Gruber. Actually, maybe the uh, the, uh, the 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 Visible Man is Artie Gruber. You're, you're right, Act. You're, you're right, probably. But still, all, cool these the he- all these characters from the past. 
And they, but all these characters from the past and all bait for when Gideon returns as there's a great big gun in this prison cell as well that Harry Angel jumps on top of to take out the robot. Just It's like, okay, why? I guess, yeah. Gideon starts to break through the door and Frank's just figured something out, but there's no time to talk because this angel is handing out wings. Oh my God. <laughs> he shoots Gideon with a lightning bolt. And next time in armored Gideon, crawling from the wreckage okay weird still very strange but you know a neat homage i do like seeing some of these old-timey guys you know mm-hmm. I, th- I think i said last time um that a, that a week at, or a week or two ago this uh judgment days story which is this um sort of story where the 2080 multiverse was all turned into zombies and stuff. This is a similar feel of just bringing back old characters and stuff. Although, yeah, I, I they've wonder not how been many zombified. people reading now would even know what the hell. Well, I think it's an, it's an interesting point, actually, because you got to think that part of what the ad campaign and search to get people reading 2080 was at least partially is an attempt to appeal to lapsed readers, right? Oh yeah. So maybe when they pick this up, they'll start, they'll see Bill Savage showing up. Yeah. So this could be for prog oneers who maybe stopped reading five years ago and now are sort of back willing to read the comics again, basically. I could buy that. You, you you can at least see where they're coming from, even if it's not that successful, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, enough nostalgia, Fox. Let's talk about the new with non-thrills, covers, and nerve shedders. It gets gooey. Yeah, 892, The Flesh and the Fury. Dave Hine draws Rachel Verlaine in a prelude to hentai and some sort of weird yeah. fleshy tube full of tentacles reaching oh, out at her. Oh, boy. In the nerve center, Tharks chilling in the suburbs and plugs an upcoming Rogue Trooper story and then sends a, a wedding anniversary message to somebody. They do not have any content for this nerve center at the moment, which is why they also have a big, like, uh, thrill su- no thrill suckers symbol in here as which, well. Which, I mean, stop, stop using this. Mm. It was bad when it was first around. Yeah. Mid-prog, there's an ad for the Terry Brooks novel, The Tangle Box, and the ad calls him the Emperor of Epic Fantasy, which I'm not sure about, but he's still a good writer. All for it. Swords of Shahara, etc. The Nerve Center has a picture of a xenomorphic male Ian. <laughs> like a xenomorph. That's a mailman. <laughs> Letters have a real-life example of riot foam. There's some mention of Dread killing previous chief judges, some confusion over Chief Magruder's beard, and Dread's hair cover, and there's some comments about, just sort of some compliments for recent thrills. Okay. Prog, yeah, the Prog enters the very yellow archive pinup for Brigand Doom, which will return yeah. to Prog next episode, but in a less banana format. <laughs> it's our weird zombie buddy. Oh, man. Prog 893, Mark Harrison draws up some new model mechanismos having target practice and dreads the bullseye. Oh. The Nerve Center is mostly a plug for an event called the Future Sound of London, which seems like some sort of avant-garde music festival thing coming up. Simulcasting on Radio 1 and the internet. Weird. Yeah, mid prog. There's a there's one of those big pages of ads and personals and stuff. That's pretty standard. But yeah. I did 
I did notice one actually that is a sale for 500 pages of 2000 AD original art. Damn. And from the listing, it looks like it's basically a Massimo Bellardinelli fire sale because the art's from like Dan Dare and Meltdown Man and Ace Trucking and stuff like that. Oh, whoa. Which sounds cool, but it's only available as a job lot of 7,500 pounds or 15 pounds per page. It's also, you know, a fake ID ad. Well, yes, it's also next door to an ad for a fake ID. But I think I just thought this is really interesting of just that, like, here's a massive four digit um, sale of uh, Bellardinelli's art just randomly in the in the personal pages. You know, I wonder if I wonder if it was him selling it off. I, it's either him or someone who has a massive collection of his work, which I don't think. Yeah. There would be, I mean, not, these days that 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 person exists. I'm friends with him on Facebook, but in <laughs> 1994, not really. Mm. Yeah, Steve Cox, he owns all of Meltdown, man. It's amazing. Holy crap. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. It's got all these fun margin notes as well that I like. You post them on, face, on, on Facebook sometimes. It's definitely worth, worth a check. Whoa. Um, yeah, will do. But anyway... Um, the nerve center has a picture of rogue Homer Simpson and letters saying that the prog is mad positive and demand a warning of excess thrill power. Um, and also I think there's a story that there's a letter that's asking for more, more long-term stories and for longer dread stories. We've got a big Epic coming up. The prog ends with a thrill archive for dynasty. And we just finished that like two months ago. You can't really nostalgic about it. Nope. And I'm not. Dynasty. It's garbage. This Dynasty thing actually looks like it might have been an unused cover or something like that, I guess. Just because it is weird to have it so early and just feels like unused art, I guess. And there is sort of space for top lines and 2080 um, logos. Maybe they requested it, but then um, they got caught by the 876 um, anniversary cover or something like that. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Prog 894, Wode Warrior. Slain prepares to axe it up in this so Clint Langley teeth. cover. Very teethy. And I'm not sure he would have had a Celtic cross on his axe in the 60 AD time setting that we're seeing mm. here. Mm. And the Nerve Center, Tharg is happy at all the new folks that have joined the ranks of readers since the TV, since the big relaunch, basically, but warns that his roster may not stay the same in the coming months, though Dread and Rogue Trooper will certainly feature heavily. Mid-issue, there's a mixed column, mostly about various dance house collected albums, though I do mention, or I do notice the song Shoop by Salt and Pepper, which is the first song on this thing that I've recognized. Shoop, um, shoop, 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 doop. Exactly. There's also an ad for the Sega magazine, or for the Sega magazine, where Echo the Dolphin is very aggressively pointing his blowhole at us. <laughs> it's for Echo, too. Ooh, the input page is a picture of Judge Log. My log knows what you did and is the log. Oh, that would that would be pretty good. But instead, he just says bark. Mm. Letters demand more and more thrills. Ask about Tharg terminology and wonder about Dredd's use of instant judge uh, justice. Um, and I'll mention that as sort of that philosophical question is asked, um, as we record this 2000 AD PR droid, Michael Mulcher has just put out a book called I Am the Law, which is sort of relating uh, Judge Dredd stories to sort of like concepts and controversies of modern policing, basically. It's kind of interesting. Oh, cool. 
I haven't read it, but I'm interested. The prog ends with a Ryan Hughes Tharg pinup wearing thrill shades. Yeah. Got to keep his eyes protected from the various blood and angels coming in Prague 895. Oh, God. 895 itself, Mecca Recca. Simon Jacob has Robert Gideon going ham on this cover. In the Nerf Center, Tharg is on to the next big moment. In this case, the exciting release of Prague 900. Oh, yeah. Also, Rogue will be back soon, and there's a droid profile on Roxilla, Alan McKenzie's dance music-loving alter ego. Not a real person, just saying. (laughs) The prog ends with a picture of Mambo and a bunch of positive letters about the TV commercial and the big 889 launch. Good times. Hey, positivity. Yeah, the prog ends with an ad for the next issue, including a really sweet cloaked dread by Ron Smith standing over the corpse of Plant Vampire. Love that cape dread, Fox. Ooh, Yeah, it looks real good. Very nice. He gets a a nameplate on the pauldrons themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can still see who's who and things like that. Mm -hmm. Way cooler than when they had their names written on their helmets in Dan Dare. Oh, God. So weird. Absolutely. And on the topic of things from the past, Fox, like sort of Dark Ages, um, or no, Roman era England, let's go to Thrill for Slay. Script robot Pat Mills, art robot Dermot Power, letting robot Steve Potter. Slain is in 60 AD, helping Boudicca take out the Roman occupation of England. They've trashed Colchester in London and are on their way to Verlum, now St. Albans. Slain shouts threats from the cross piece of a chariot as locals try to buy or fight for their lives, but instead just get axed. Yeah, dude. It's like, hey, beads, huh? And then just lop. <laughs> I will say the I li- like the art's real cool. I like Slain axing into things, but it also feels like it's trying to, like, I don't know, like... It feels like it's shot to sort of avoid showing like things that that would take a lot of time to draw, I guess, like the town yeah. or the wreckage of the battlefield or sort oh, of. A yeah, lot there's of, not a lot of like visual shots. It's a lot of like blue and green. Yeah, it's a lot of like sort of the sky and maybe two or three people that Slain is interacting with, basically. Mm-hmm. It's still good. I want to be clear. Yeah. But oh, yeah. It's one of these. It's it, it's 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 like when a movie has a limited budget, and so they've got to kind of shoot things a little bit more. But they still want to have a big battle scene, so they got to shoot things artfully. I guess like mm. a, a HBO's Rome, basically. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I get what you. Um. Anyway, the Caesareans are killed, and Boudica casts a spell to have all the creatures of the forest harvest the bones of the fallen to create a giant temple out of them, the Bone Prison of Oeth, which is the um, Celtic underworld. It's pretty metal, Fox. Yeah, it's pretty dope. This is a very, uh, like, well, I sort of spent a lot of time in Minecraft doing other stuff, and I've got a lot of bones (laughs) left over. What can I do with it? You know, I know, I'll build build a house out of the bones. Very nice. (laughs) Um. Slain's pretty stoked about this, and then we cut to the time beyond time, where we learn that the final battle looms and Slain and Ucko's low on motivation. Nest oh, yeah. comes in, explains that this story is about how Rome and other conquerors are bad and should not be glorified, because in the end, their crimes lead a psychic scar and 
They have an eventual downfall visited upon their descendants and don't give up freedom for central heating. Okay. <laughs> Easy to say when you're in a temp in a magical uh, holdfast, Fox. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I guess she has to sleep with the dung guy, but yeah, Ness they then seem heads, to be getting on real well. Yeah, Ness then heads off to fuck more on the dung collector again, as in the past, the military governor of Rome arrives on the scene with the 2nd, 14th, and 20th legions. They arrive at the bone prison and are aghast when suddenly from a lake of blood, that dang Elfric starts to reinforce. Reincarnating himself in a tornado uh, of guts. Uh, 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 I'm back. <laughs> this tomb of horrors is just what he needed to reconstitute himself, and he's brought some demon buddies. Hey, why not? He taunts the Roman governor for his failures and has some innovative tips to win the war. They'll force Boudica into an error of judgment by desecrating the navel of the earth goddess. The most oh. sacred site in Britain. Okay. Yeah, it's in a Vernometon, now called Willoughby, Willow Beyond the Wold, sort of near Nottingham, Fox. And this is where a belly button was. There's a, this is where a hill that kind of looks like a belly button from the distance is. Yeah, or it kind of looks like, I would say, a pregnant a, a, a pregnant belly with like a, when the belly button kind of pops out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like you an know? Audi. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone's pregnant enough and they kind of get that turkey baster look or uh, uh, like turkey, turkey doneness thing, you know, like yeah, when you yeah. cook a turkey and there's a thing that pops out, but it's yeah. like yeah, 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 like yeah. a pregnant stomach. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. I'm not it's, weird. It's, <laughs> it's getting impregnated with delicious. <laughs> Want to eat that baby. <laughs> <laughs> so they call it a bun in the oven. Oh, oh. <sighs> <sighs> they drop they, baby. They die and poison the river, burn the forest, butcher the sacred horses that live within that forest, paint a nearby horse figure thing on a cliff face in blood, and encircle the top of the hill with crucified druids as you do. Yeah, I mean, fuck him, right? Yeah. Boudicca weeps, and even though her generals warn her that she's headed into a trap, she and Slain agree that sometimes you gotta fight even when you know you're going to lose and be killed horribly. I, I disagree I with this tactical yeah, that's, stance. That's not a very, that's no, that's bad. This is all like, a bad idea. Nah, sometimes you got to regroup, and, you know, whatever. Let the let this anger fuel you in a tactically not a trap situation. You know what I'm saying? Also, maybe like keep that place better protected. Hindsight. Mm, you know, this is one of those, the price of hippie freedom is hippie vigilance, Fox. There's not a lot of hippie vigilance. <laughs> Picking too many flowers, making too many grants. It's, it's a long-term hippie problem, frankly. Um, anyway, <laughs> because of that, it's a sacrifice. So Slain strips down and will fight naked. Ucko uh, paints magic signs onto his body, while suddenly we hear the voice of Elfric taunting Slain. It's going to crucify them all and then do ooh weird stuff to him. <laughs> Yeah, very weird, I'm sure. <laughs> we see Ucko crucified and a demon guy is about to tickle his uh, armpit with a, uh, with a feather. Weird stuff. Mm. Boudica summons a pretty boss dragon as 230,000 Kelsol well, band together. She all the Dragon Balls. <laughs> yeah, but she, and she asked and she wished for it to kick ass, which is good because that's the only time it's going to happen. It doesn't happen and, again. Exactly. You only get it once. 
<laughs> Unless they like go to Namek, Fox. Yeah, and then you get it. You could do it again then. Absolutely. Fight these Romans on Namek. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they ride into they they ride to their death at Mansador, the place of chariots, which is still a town in England with that name and with this history to this day. Okay. The Romans fight back with siege weapons and bolt throwers, but get hit by poison arrows. The Celts try to fight wisely, hamstringing soldiers to tie up resources as man and horse clash all along the battle lines. Cetotus Paulinus, the Roman gov- uh, the Roman general and governor, asks Elfric to lead his demons against that dang dragon, but... The blue-skinned L is mostly just here to slaughter indiscriminately, sort of through his yeah. immortality, you know? He's like when like, I, I don't use give cheats. a freaking heck. Yeah, he's, he's like when I use cheats on a Dynasty Warriors fox and sort of, <laughs> you know, I'm less noticing the ebb and flow of battle because I'm more focused on just slaughtering. Um, yeah, man. I'm a simple man. I, I, I'm a simple man with simple pleasures, fox. <laughs> Um, but he does have a new plan because he spots some fresh victims, Boudicca's daughters. Yeah, time to cut their heads off. Yeah, among other things you'd imagine. Meanwhile, Slain yep. is going fully warped as he scatters a Roman tortoise formation. Dermot Power does do a great job of this warped Slain. He's big and got a bunch oh, yeah. of te- got terrifying muscles and weird shapes and stuff like that. Weird one large eye. Exactly. Slain is massive and lopping off, lopping off heads. It's time for him to fight Elfric, but the L is already struck, killing Boudicca's daughters. He holds their heads and throws them at pegs him right at Slain. The two of them fight, cleaving at each other as Elfric also shoots eye beams. There's a point where Elfric has the high like ground, but um, Revenge of the Sith hasn't happened yet. So when he does a jumping attack, <laughs> Slain's still able to cut his legs off. You know, Yeah, man. From any position that happens, don't do jumping attacks is what I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, realistically, don't try and flip over your enemy. No. <laughs> Hit him with the sword. <laughs> Slain then decapitates Elfric, but the deed is done. The Earth Goddess has been wounded. Oh, dip. It's time for that worm to come back. Remember yeah. the worm? Remember that big worm, Crom Crom? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Slain's worm Krom power Krom? wanes Krom and the great Krom. worm... Great Worm Crumb Kruak once more incarnates o'er the land. Oh, geez. The Celtic battle lines are collapsing in the face of the Romans, and Boudicca has no choice but to signal the retreat. When dong, they dong. try to retreat, their flight is hampered by the wagons and baggage trains of their families and stuff. So the Romans fall upon them, slaughtering the rebels wholesale. And we sort of Cut afterwards in the field of slaughter as Slain stands above this field of carnage, and Ucko begs the warrior to save himself and Ucko as Slain looks on in silent disbelief. Yeah, well, you win some, you lose some, buddy. Remember that one time you flew on Pluke? Oh, man. That'll make you smile. Yeah. Next time on Slain, a farewell to kings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Boudicca's story's been going on for a while. It's true. I mean, we've been we've we're in part two of this guy and is sort of our moving forward. But but we're we're steaming towards the end here, I believe. Yeah. I, I mean, once the <laughs> once her and all of her people are slain, I feel like, you know, 
It's true. There's not much of a story left to tell before Slane's on quantum leaps to some new adventure, I guess. <laughs> I per- you know, he's he's doing a sliders. He doesn't know where he's going to end up. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is more of a because he's not taking anyone's place. So it is more of a sliders. Totally. John Rice Davies. All right. <laughs> I'd love that guy. Come on. Gimli, Sala, the professor Sala, from definitely. sliders. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> Speaking of good good times and episodic storytelling, Fox, let's finish things up with Thrill 5, Future Shocks, and Terror Tales. Those happen too. Yeah. First, uh, so yeah, just uh, I guess in between Rogue Troopers, we're just slotting in a, a quartet of Future Shocks here. First one, Red Giant, script robot Peter Hogan, art robot Paul Johnson, learning robot Ellie DeVille. Um. Yeah, first time we're seeing Paul Johnson on the pod. He's got this an interesting painted style here, I think. It makes it look like he's... Yeah, very, very real faces. Yeah, I feel like he might actually be like working from photographs or something here almost. Mm. Anyway, the face on Mars in the Judge Red magazine. We learned Idonia, it's, baby. Yeah, in the Judge Red, it's real in the Dread verse and full of ancient alien uh, like Anunnaki stuff going on there. Here, it's got a very cat-like sphinx look to it. Mm. It's also a big city, and I guess humans have been exploring it, and they've now brought a doctor to the planet to play some audio files with the translated Martian language to some cat-like Mars mummies. Mars mummies. Meow mummies. It's supposed to awaken the sleepers that will bring us greater knowledge, but when they do play it, a mummy, this cat mummy comes awake. <laughs> it's a cool tiger monster. Gets really like angry. Yeah. Oh, you. Yeah, definitely. They're gonna uh, fucking wing commander is gonna take him out. Christopher Blair <laughs> <laughs> gonna take some skooma and go back to bed. Ooh, ooh you're going, uh, Larry Niven. That's excellent. All right. Mm. Anyway, it's they translate what the cat alien let read, and it says that you're. It actually says to wait until the sleepers awaken. So give them fifty more years, and they'll be back to yeah, uplift your dumb society. Yeah, exactly. It's frequent naps and so forth. Oh yeah, several times a this, millennia. This story has a joke, but this could also be a like you could. This could also be the exact first act of like a horror movie or something like that. Oh so yeah, that was pretty fun. What happens like, in those fifty years is real bad. Well, or just like it does wake up these cat monsters and then you kind of spend the rest of the movie fighting cat monsters, you know, being slowly wiped out by cat monsters. That'd be Mm. pretty good. In sort of a ruined, like, pyramid kind of environment. I'd watch it. No, I wouldn't actually. I hate horror movies, but I I could see human (laughs) beings watching it. I, I mean, that is effectively what Stargate is. It's true. That's true. Also, The Mummy. Mm. All those scarabs. Finally. in your mouth. Next story, Life Sentence. Or your brain, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Creator robot Dave Hine, letting robot Alita Fell. If I have, um, yeah, if I have one complaint about this story, Fox, is that it's got a lot of overlap between it and Mambo, just because it's both yeah. Hine in both of them. And because it's sort of body horror-ish, I guess. So it sort of feels like, whoa, is this story in here twice or something like that? I yeah, exactly. A man sweatily hides from techno vampires as the sun sets on a desert vista. 
He trips and they close in. And the man, Lucas, reflects on the many ways he's died so far. Boiling mud, being electrocuted, strangled, crushed, impaled, immolated, decapitated, etc. The vampires attack him and he remembers his past. He was once Edward Lucas, found guilty on 17 charges of murder. His crimes were so heinous that his future society is at a loss to deal with him. And in these flashbacks, Lucas takes a lot of pains to portray himself as the victim of that society. Mm. And society doesn't seem to like him that much. But in the end, you did kill 17 people, buddy. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the ju- like it, we're supposed to see the judge as callous and uncaring when he says that other people have hardships in their lives and didn't kill 17 people. Yeah. But I kind of agree with him, Fox. No, that, yes, he's correct. Like, it's not cool, I guess. He's sentenced to life in STIR, the state terminal incarceration reality. We were looking for it, so we had to find it. (laughs) Truly, this was someone coming up with the acronym before the name. Basically, he's put into a VR game, and the families of his victims get to choose the method where he's virtually killed over and over again. But in the end, Fox, isn't them watching him be killed not actually, but just virtually in a video environment, make them the real killers? Not really. Nah, not, nah yeah, no, you're no, not it dying. doesn't. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I see what we're going for, but in the end, the guy killed 17 people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't feel too bad for murderers, Fox. I, I won't. I will not. <laughs> like, not unless you really give me some extenuating circumstances, which they're at pains to not do. I mean, you know, he killed 17 people. I, my heart doesn't really go out to him. No. Bring on the techno vampires. It's fine. And it's just like he's being killed in the video. You know, he's feeling pain for it. But in the end, like, this is not as bad as. No, there was finality to what happened to his his victim. Yeah. Anyway, next story. The Succubus. Script about Alan McKenzie. Art about Paul Johnson. Later about uh, Ellie yeah. DeVille. This one's a terror tale. A young man is having drinks with a lady in a black dress with a veil, and she goes to the bathroom. So an old guy slides into the booth and tells the story of a young man that fucked a succubus that sucked all the life out of him. <laughs> We've all been there, eh, fellas? Yeah. Okay, guys. And we learned that it was this old guy. He was actually 24 years old. Oh, uh, dip. The young guy runs away, and when the lady returns, the old guy checks her up, because he's actually an incubus, a male succubus. Whoa. All right, I guess. Yeah, pardon me if I burst into flames, Fox. Mm. That's a song by Incubus? Nope, don't know it. I don't listen to Incubus. Mid-2000s, like, pop-punk kind of stylings. Cool. Anyway, final story. (laughs) (laughs) Milk and Honey, script robot Mark Miller, art robot Kevin Cullen, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. This one was the one I liked. (laughs) It's the first time we're seeing Kevin Cullen here on Space Spinner, but he's done a bunch of stuff in the magazine. There he works almost exclusively in black and white, so I'm actually pretty interested to see all the color we're getting in this one. There's a lot of it. Um, At a shop in Bangkok, a man in a golden mask barges in and asks to see the shopkeeper's grandfather. Then going to a room in the back as a narration box talks about the procurer arriving to take him back home. 
And in the room, a blindfold, there's a blindfolded man who's a bloody mess. Ugh. Long story short, this guy is a fallen angel who was cursed by God to walk the earth for 5,000 years as an immortal. And now he's kind of gotten into pain and weirdness. Yeah, he's into weird stuff. We see him hire an old torturer to basically remove all of his skin and then do stuff involving complex knives. His 5,000 years is up, and he. but why would he return to the boring hymns and happiness of paradise when here he's already in heaven? Boy, <laughs> that was, this was a good one. It was good. Yeah, totally. Heaven has Weird. no skin. <laughs> no, no, no. This was a good terror tale. I mean, just sort of of sort of the spookiness and like sort you know. He's. I mean, I'm just really into pain now. Yeah, that sort of pain as pleasure kind of concept. Fun stuff. Yeah. Not for me, but I respect the. Uh, you know, as long as you put down newspapers, I respect the the uh, the, the the going for it. Yeah, you know, you paid the guy. Exactly. And all that done, Fox, we've reached the end of our stories. You know, stayed real steady here after a couple episodes of like eight or nine thrills. Very sort of compact here. Just five and one of those is Future Shocks. So I must know, what are you talking about on thrills? Man, I mean, my top's real easy. That's going straight to Mambo. Loved me Mm -hmm. some Mambo. Lots of goo. This goo girl, she's real good. She's about to goo out. And uh, and uh, fight Goo Man, synthetic Goo Man. Mm. Very excited. I'm interested to see what happens. Plus, you know, Goo Assassins, pretty good. Yeah. Also, kill your dad's head. Why you know, not? Kill your dad's. Kill your dad's head. Come on. Mercy, kill your dad's head. It it would have gone to Judge Dread, but to be honest, to get that kind of pulled out from underneath me, um, not get to see the whole thing, but have to get to the magazine. I get why they did it, but also I'm like, man. Yeah. I feel like I would be just like, now I got to get this magazine. <laughs> it it would be a purchase uh, that that wouldn't feel as good. You know I mean, I mean? I'll, yeah, I mean, I'll say sort of generally speaking at this point, if you were getting one, you were getting the other probably. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You know, it's just um, we're in a we're in a rare time where there's this crossover like this is sort of not that common. Generally, I'd say um, Armored Gideon was fine. Right. Like it's still going. I like the blast from the past stuff. Um, and to be honest, I don't really shoot shit on Terror Tales or Future Shocks because they were fine. They're, I mean, they're a step above the ones that we used to read. Let me just put it mm, that way. Interesting. You know, yeah. Like I, and, and especially because there was one I even liked a lot, but the art and all of them has been great. Um, and to be honest, like and this is where I'm, I'm going to be somewhat horrible. I, I think my bottom's going to slain. Oh, wow. I mean, Slane, I love a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But again, like all of these are are kind of equally good in my mind outside of Mambo, which is perfect. It should be collected. Everyone should read it. Mambo's great. Um, I, I just like I'm getting to the end of this whole Boudicca stuff and it doesn't like I get it. He's fighting Elfric, but it seems like such a, a side quest of a story, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Like like there was so much more going on when, uh, you know, just in the King storyline and there's there was stuff happening within the world that he was in, but now he's got to go do sliders into different time eras to do more stuff about which also will have some Earth Goddess crap in it. Just, uh, you know, 
I'd like to see what comes next. And this one hasn't hustled as much for me. Mm -hmm. Really great fight scenes, of course. Beautiful artwork. You know, this is not me saying Slain is bad by any means, but I had to choose a bottom. Yeah. (sighs) Conrad. Oh, I want you. I want you to disagree with me. (laughs) (laughs) At least on one of these. But what are your top and bottom thrills, buddy? It's tough. I mean, again, not a lot to choose from this time. And, you know, I feel like we've had. I feel like the last year and two years, maybe we've always had. Oh like yeah, a, there's a whipping boy, a whipping boy, or very clear. Like ah, yes, this is a bottom thrill. This, this, like honestly, this this month kind of takes me back to some mm-hmm. of these, some some of our earlier days, actually, where yeah, where we had to make hard decisions, where we had to make hard decisions, and sort of putting, you know, no matter what, like the bottom thrill doesn't mean that like I hate this thrill. It just kind of means like. You know, there's just other things that are better, you know. It feels weirder when it's not an embarrassment of riches, right? Like all of these are good. I would mm-hmm. say they're not like great. And we've had we've had months that we've read that were like, wow, all of this really great. And I can't choose a bottom. Yeah. Right. This feels like everything is just good. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it feels <laughs> like when everything's fine, it's like, well, I don't want to I don't want to choose anything for bottom, but yeah. it's still just as hard. I hear you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I will join you in in putting Mambo at my t- at, as my top thrill. It's so fun to read and to look at. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I feel like it's really trying. It's really trying to break new ground or sort of do things a little differently. You know, um, that we sort of got this. You know, this sort of heavy flashback um, storytelling we've seen, but man, this just this re- the art. The art's reliance on just these sort of, again, I feel like we said body horror like 5,000 times this episode, oh, sure. and I'm sorry. Oh, but it's but, an apt, uh, it's apt, yeah, right? Like, it is a lot of that. Just these kind of scary, gross, like, images of people with all these, like, tentacles and shoots oh. coming off of them and stuff like that. It's real disgusting. It's really disturbing, and I think yeah. that that really makes this story feel interesting and fresh, I think. Especially because it's also sort of the the one new IP, to use modern terms, in this run out of things, you know. Otherwise, it's all continuing stories we read before, including mm. one that's specifically a nostalgia trip in uh, in Armored Gideon, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I think that I think the fact that this feels fresh and original, as well as being pretty tightly paced and being an interesting story with with with, with interesting art, sort of puts it on on the top for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my bottom that's my bottom thrills harder, much harder. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I I am very amused by these sort of classic characters in Arbor Gideon. So it oh, can't I, be that. It was made for us. Exactly. Basically. It's this is very much someone very much rewarding people who read the first couple years of 2000 AD and sort of can recognize these characters. And that's very much our purview. So it's sort of, you know, this one's a, a nice little reward for us making our way through to Proc 900 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um I'm a little bit more charmed by Slain. I think it's interesting yeah. that we're sort of telling this story where Slain loses, I guess. I think that's sort of sure. an interesting concept. Um, and I'm sort of okay with Slain slidersing through the pagan past, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it could, yeah. it could be interesting. Yeah. It could be interesting. And if I do have a problem with it, it's like I said before, just that it feels like some of the images are sort of designed to 
like save on save on work or something like yeah, that, yeah, or just like time, right? Because a lot of what of what the discussion within the story of Slain it's has about, been, it's about t- attacking a city. Yeah, and there's been and uh, last episode especially there was just this big discussion about um, the atrocities committed by the Celts in their attack on the Caesarians, and we just aren't seeing that as much as we saw mm-hmm. maybe in the earliest stages of the uh, of the. In the uh, in the Glen Fabry sections of uh, the you know the first part of the story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, just to get to dread. Sorry, I know I'm I'm going over no, no, everything. No. Walk your way through. Um, I thought dread was interesting. Again, myth arc story. I thought was very cool. Like for you know less for you, I know just because you haven't seen them. But for me, there's re- these reveals of these scary new mechanisms is a very big thing. Just mm-hmm. sort of that they're here, they're about to be rolled out and stuff. Um, but I agree also that it's a bummer that they sort of don't continue, the, that they just sort of then go back to business as usual after this cliffhanger. Yeah. Like, I, I it just appreciate that. It feels that. sort of, it feels anticlimactic, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I might actually be tempted to put Dread on the bottom for that, just to be a little different, I guess. Oh, we do things a little differently around here. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to put Future Shocks on the bottom just because they're sort of telling their stories right. and these were decent future shocks i'm i might actually just go solidarity put slain down there i guess wow just some slight differences i got some complaints about the storytelling for slain and stuff but like you know this is one of these things where everything is like a b like a b you know there's yeah. no there's no fails in here this is just sort of or actually no i'll give it to dread that's my final that's my final okay. answer well, there we just go. Just different, but um, rare, <laughs> rare dread on the bottom. But he'll be fine. He can sort of. Yeah. Take, oh, I mean, he got hit with by how the many W's that guy's got. You know. Exactly. Exactly. All right. <laughs> anyway, hope everybody enjoyed this show. As always, you can find Space Spinner two thousand on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify. Or our podcast site at spacepinner2000.com. Context is spacepinner2000 at gmail.com or on the 2080 forums or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On, or on our Facebook and Twitter pages on Twitter at Space Spinner 2K for everything else. Space Spinner 2000, we should be there. And hey, drop us a rating or review wherever it is you're listening to us. It helps us out. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. So there you can support the show and get advanced episodes. And come back next time. As we reach climaxes of our current thrills with brief returns for Brigand Doom, Rogue Trooper, and Strontium Dogs. And then we're very much on the road to Prog 900. Until then, I'm Connor Eddie's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Splendid Mercury! Mercury!